So we are continuing in Luke chapter 11. We're continuing to look at this passage where Jesus is speaking about prayer. You'll recall his disciples have seen him pray. Something tells me if we saw Jesus pray, we'd say to him, Lord, teach me to pray. Wow. When you get done praying, Lord, we just want to pray too. And so... They come to him and they say, teach us to pray, and and he does. And the prayer that Jesus gives to us is a prayer that not just only instructs us on the mechanics. He doesn't just go out and say, okay, let me give you the framework. Let me give you the skeleton, although he does that. Let me lay out for you how you go about praying, what elements would, would be added and would make for a good prayer. But he goes on and says, now let me illustrate in a way that should motivate you to pray. I'm not just going to tell you how to pray. I'm also going to give you reasons to pray. And this sermon this morning addresses the question of why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? What what is it that prevents us from praying? Because, I, I mean, I think if you take a survey where you let people not put their name on it and to just Just fill this thing out, and we'll mix it in with a bunch, and no one will ever know. And you ask people, you know, what is the one thing that you wished as a Christian you did more of? Prayer is, like, always at the top of that list. We just wish we could pray more. Why don't we pray more? I think sometimes we don't pray more because if we're honest, and we don't always want to be honest, we might say, well, you know, I've prayed, and I've, I've prayed, I've had things I've prayed for, and it seems like I've, I've prayed for years. And I don't know, nothing seems to happen. I pray, and I pray, and I pray. Lord, give me this. Lord, give me that. And, and I don't have it. I mean, I've prayed for years for it, and I haven't gotten it. Hmm. A couple of things about that. One, are you sure you're praying for the right thing? I'll get to that more in a moment. Secondly, here's, here's a question. Just how fervently have you been praying. I mean, just how, what, what kind of prayer life have you really had? Is this just, you know, you toss this out there, last thing before you're drifting off to sleep? The Christian life and prayer is very much like, I have grandkids. When you have grandkids and you haven't seen them for three or six months, I have a, I have a daughter who lives in California. It's just, ugh. You know, just really, I, my other one's in Wisconsin at the moment, too. So you just look at your kids. Fortunately, we can FaceTime and all. But when you actually run into them, you actually get with them, you suddenly realize they're not this tall anymore. They're this tall. Like, how in the world did that happen? Now, they're parents, and if you're a parent, you know this. You're kind of like, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess. You know, when, when your child finally is looking you in the eye, you kind of go, oh, how did that happen? You know, wait, when did you get, wait a minute, let's you're taller than I am. All right, that, but it, it's slow, right? The Christian life is exactly like that. The question is, you've been praying. Have you really been earnestly praying? Have you been praying in a way that actually transforms you? See, God is much more interested in who we are than what we own. Or whether, frankly, we're healthy or not. We tend to spend a lot of time praying for stuff and health. Now, 
you know, God doesn't want us ill. I mean, as those things go, right? I mean, we know when Jesus came, out of compassion, he healed all kinds of sick folks. But the reality is that, in case you hadn't noticed, we're all going to get older and something or another is going to take us out of this place. I mean, it's just going to happen. The question is, are you praying in such a way that it's transforming you? Because if you've been praying like you mean it, I assure you, after two years, whether whatever it is you've been praying for seemingly has not been answered, what has been answered is that you have become a different person. You become a person of prayer. Prayer is, is very much like child rearing. When you first have kids, and, and hopefully this isn't you, hopefully this will not be news to you, but the fact is, as a parent, if you haven't really paid attention or if you haven't had someone explain this to you, you can kind of be at a loss. You know, when they're first born... I mean, my goodness, they're so, they're just, they're just adorable, right? They're like, oh, you look at them, it just hurts your heart. They're just so adorable. And then they get a little older, and suddenly, you discover that they have the exact same sin nature as your spouse. <laughs> now, what do you do? And, and you realize, my child is a sinner, it's hard to believe. It's, it's difficult to admit, but come to find out, you know those cute cherub little cheeks and that and those and this little mouth you just love to kiss and and it's lying. It's speaking lies to you. They're, they're giving you falsehoods. You're looking at them like, okay. So now what do you do? How in the world do you actually go about raising children? Well, let me tell you something you should pay very close attention to. The very statement, raising children, is part of the problem. You're not raising children. You're raising adults. The idea is to turn your child into an adult. Once you think to yourself, wait a minute, my little one here, is one day going to turn 18 or 20 or wherever, and they're going to move out of this house, and I'm going to turn them over to God. They're going to go from my fatherhood or motherhood over to God. I'm going to turn them over to God. What kind of person am I going to turn over to God? Am I going to send them out of my house a mature, responsible, kind, compassionate, gracious person who knows how to work hard, who knows how to be responsible, who knows how to set goals to achieve them, who is honest, who, who is forgiving, who is faithful. I mean, is that the person I'm going to turn over and say, okay, Lord, they're yours. I, my, I can give them advice now, but they're an adult and this is what they're going to do. Once you get that picture in your mind, once you put together exactly what it is you're striving for, you know, a whole lot of parenting things suddenly straighten themselves out. You suddenly go, oh, okay. So I look at this person who's clearly got a sin nature like their sp- my spouse, <clears throat> like me, and, and I look at what sin is, is doing them in. I look at them and think, Oh, my poor son or daughter, you know, this one is really struggling with this, and that one's really struggling with that, and there seems to be a particular sin that just really comes out. I need to help them with that. 
I need to help them so that by the time they're an adult. So this is a long-term strategy here. This is not a strategy of a day or of a week. This is a strategy of 15 or 20 years. It's going to take encouragement. It's going to take education. It's going to take discipline on your part. It's going to take correction for them. It's all, plus all the wisdom you can bring to bear. But the fact is you know where you're going. You look at what a mature, responsible, godly adult looks like, and then you look at the child and you say, all right, what have I got to do to turn them into that? Okay, this is exactly what prayer is like. This is what we should be praying about. If you're like, well, when I go to pray, you know, it's like, okay, Lord, thank you for the butterflies, and please bless the missionaries, and uh, I don't know, what in the world do you pray about? Anyway, okay, this is what you pray about. You look at a mature, responsible Christian who is what? Just like the child. You're trying to go from the child to the mature, responsible adult. You're trying to go from a spiritual child to a spiritual, mature, responsible adult. And you pray exactly like that. Okay, Lord, I have these problems, these sins that seem to beset me, that I seem to have difficulty getting over. They come and get me all the time. Lord, I need, I need help with this. We look out into the assembly, not in judgment, not in criticism. We look out into the assembly and we say, okay, Lord, so-and-so, I want to pray for them. And I want to pray that you will give them whatever. Look at the people around you. Everyone needs prayer. I need prayer. We all need to pray for one another. And the prayer that we pray is, Lord, make them more kind, make them more compassionate, make them more loving, make sure they're a good spouse or a good son or daughter or a good parent. And pray this and pray it like it matters. This is how we pray. We want to pray that we will all become mature spiritual adults. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for the people around you. Pray that for the assembly. This is a prayer that you could pray without ceasing for that. Hmm. Yeah, what do you know? We actually can. And so this, the, the text before us, and I, I, I'll get to reading it here in a second, but we're familiar with it, right? I mean, Jesus has given them the prayer, and then he's like, okay, let me illustrate this. you got the guy who at midnight, someone has knocked on the door, and he needs three Pieces of pita bread. It's not big loaves or smaller. Three pieces of pita bread. And so he goes to the next door neighbor and he knocks on the door. And, okay, if you think about, think about this, he's not really asking for all that much, right? He's asking for the normal, everyday sustenance of life. If this parable occurred at noontime, did you ever the guy who went to his next door neighbor at noon and wanted three pieces of bread? Okay. And what exactly are we illustrating about this? I mean, be a good neighbor. I mean, it just kind of takes the whole thing away from it. The whole idea is that he shows up at midnight. You're kidding me. You knocked on your neighbor's door at midnight just to ask for three pieces of bread? Uh Uh-huh. That's kind of nervy. That is the point of the parable. And Jesus is trying to say, look, I want you to come to God anytime, any place, whatever you need. It doesn't have to be some big, massive thing. He's not, he's not going to his next-door neighbor asking for, I don't know what, you know, can I get a pair of oxen? Can I have 40 sheep? You know, I mean, this is, can I just get three slices of bread? Can I just get enough bread here to make sure that my guest is taken care of? This isn't all that special a request. If it occurred at noontime, no one would even think about it. 
what's special is that you're willing to do it at any moment. You're willing to come even at midnight because it's, here's what the parable is about. It's not about bread. Bread is like the least thing here. What this parable is about is who you are. Who is the host? Is he willing to go to his neighbor even at midnight to be a good host? And is the neighbor at midnight willing to get out of bed and to be a good neighbor? The parable is about who you are. It's not about bread. The question is, are you a good host and are you a good neighbor? Because both of those things are character things, and God is very concerned about character. You know, the guy who showed up from the long travel, he's not going to die by morning if you don't give him something to eat. This isn't about that. This is about, are we going to take care of one another? Do we care about one another? Do you care about your guest enough to go next door at midnight and, and see what you can do to take care of them? Does the neighbor care enough about his neighbor that he's going to do the right thing? Do people care for one another? This is, this is the point. And then what the passage is going to go on and talk about is, and it's clear in that passage, God is not like the neighbor. You're not going to wake God up at midnight. God never sleeps. There is no convenient moment. And if you think the neighbor, the neighbor had to be talked into it. God doesn't have to be talked into it. God wants to answer our prayers. Here's another reason why we might we might not pray enough. We might be kind of like, you know, I've prayed, I've prayed. It doesn't, it, it doesn't really seem to do anything. I'm not sure my prayers, I, 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 they don't seem to be answered. I mean, okay, God has a plan. I know God has a plan. God is sovereign. I know God is sovereign. Um, do my prayers really make a difference? I mean, come on. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's got it all laid out. I, whether I pray, whether I don't pray, I mean, I, don't know. I mean, I'll pray, I guess, because God wants me to. But does it really matter? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it really matters. It really matters. It really matters. Now, God has determined the beginning and the end. God has determined both of those things. The question is, in the middle, which is where we live, are we going to be part of the plan of God, or aren't we? God is going to get done what God is going to get done. Sure he is. And you know what? He's perfectly happy to use you to get it done. But if you don't want to get involved in that process, the book of Esther. We all know in the book of Esther where Mordecai says to Esther, who knows? Maybe you've come into the kingdom. Maybe you've entered into royalty for such a time as this. And we're all familiar with that. We, We know that passage. It's a great passage. Mordecai is like, maybe this is your chance. Maybe this is your opportunity. But before he said that, he said something else to her. He made a very clear statement to her. that You know, in in the book of Esther, the guy is going to destroy them all. He's already got the king to sign the thing that's going to just destroy them all. And so Mordecai, before he said that to her, says, you tell Esther this. Don't imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. Mordecai is laying out a very clear principle here. God is going to get done what God is going to get done. 
God is going to deliver the Jews. They're his chosen people. That's going to happen. The only question for you, Esther, is whether or not you're going to be part of that process. We come to life, and you might think, well, God is going to do what God is going to do. Yes, he is. The question is, are you going to be part of that process or not? And the way to become a part of that process, one of the main ways, is to pray. He's asked us to pray. The ends are set. There's no doubt about it. You can read the book of Revelation and see how it all ends. But the means by which we get to that end is up to us. Are you going to do what God wants you to do? Are you going to be part of the plan of God? Are you going to get involved or not? I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the place. You look in the Bible and just look. So Jesus goes to Nazareth, right? And when he gets to Nazareth, he comes to his hometown. And you'll recall that Jesus could barely do any healing in Nazareth. It, it, it actually says that, that he had... That he, just healed a few sick folks. He didn't do many miracles there. Well, why not? Well, because when he was in Nazareth, the text is clear. He goes to his hometown and begins teaching, and he begins in their synagogue and talking to them, and they're all astonished and say, who does this guy think he is? I mean, we know who he is. He's the carpenter's kid. I mean, we know where his brothers and sisters are. His mother is still here with us. I mean, why? Who, this guy is pretty big for his britches. Who in the world does he think he is that he's going to get in here and teach like that and do miracles? This guy can't do any miracles. Your mother's sick. I'm not bringing my mother to him. He can't heal anybody. Look, this is the carpenter's kid. This is why Jesus couldn't do mighty miracles. It's not that he didn't have the power. He had all the power in the world. He had had all the power to heal any sickness anyone brought to him. The problem was I didn't bring him to him. I'm not bringing my mother to that guy. I'm not bringing my son to that guy. He's just a carpenter's kid. No carpenter's kid. He's not going to heal my mother. Their problem was their unbelief. Let's be clear about this passage, okay? It's It's not like they brought their sick person to Jesus and said, could you heal my mother? And he's like, you know, I'd really like to, but there's so much unbelief around here. If you just have one person who believes... Jesus heals them. Just bring them. Jesus will heal them. You don't need just the faith of a mustard seed. Just enough to bring them. That'll get the job done. The problem was they wouldn't even bring them. Jesus' power was not bound. It was just that they didn't avail themselves of it. They wouldn't come to him. And Jesus, of course, will give the example that, you know, that there were many widows in the days of Elijah, but who did he go to? He went to a woman of Sidon. And, and, there were many lepers, but only the Syrian, Naaman the Syrian, actually got cured of his leprosy. There were lots of lepers in Israel. There were lots of people in Israel who could have seen the power of God. I didn't. We can see the power of God in our prayer if we will pray correctly, like Jesus explains to us. When we look at this prayer, what what does this prayer look like? If you don't know what else to pray, and there's lots of things to pray for, but if you don't know what else to pray, bow your head and say, Lord, I really need a lesson on what it means for you to be my Heavenly Father. I mean, I got an earthly father, and I got that complicated relationship with him because he is who he is, and he's a sinner, and so am I, and 
You know, they're just kind of, you know, Lord, I want to really understand who you are as my heavenly father. You think God's not going to answer that prayer? And of course he's going to. I want to see you as the eternal heavenly father. I want your perspective. And by the way, Lord, I want you to be magnified in my life. I want your name to be hallowed in my life. Whatever that looks like. Help me to understand that. Help me to figure out how to make that happen. You think God's not going to answer that prayer? Of course he's going to answer that prayer. And by the way, Lord, I understand that I am a, I'm a subject of a different kingdom, your kingdom. And I want to live that out. I want to be a kingdom person of your kingdom. How does that look? How does that work? How do I live like a heavenly citizen? You think God's not going to answer that prayer? And by the way, Lord, your will, I want your will to be done in my life. Help me to figure that out. Help me to understand that. Help me to know your word. Help me to see in your word what your will is so that I can do it. You think God's not going to answer that prayer? And by the way, Lord, on a daily basis, not a, not a weekly, not a monthly, not for the rest of my life, just on a daily basis, Lord, there are things that you know I need. You know I need things even I don't know I need. But I need them. And so, Lord, please help me to see and to recognize the provisions that you're giving me on a daily basis. Provide, Lord. You think God's not going to answer that prayer? Of course he is. And by the way, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. And now... May you please help me to have that kind of forgiveness for others. I'm carrying this load of guilt, Lord. I'm walking around with this load of guilt that I don't. Can you forgive me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, God can forgive you. Okay, Lord, I don't feel forgiven. Pray harder and pray that God will help you to feel forgiven because you can be forgiven. The forgiveness of God is available to you. Pray for that. You're walking around with a load of guilt. Jesus died to take that load of guilt for you. You want forgiveness, ask for it. God will give it. You want to live a life free from bitterness and and unforgiveness and resentment. I want to be able to forgive people who have offended me. Pray for that. God will give that to you. You're like, they've wronged me so deeply. Okay. God will still forgive them. And you. So pray. And Lord, I know trials are going to come my way and I don't want to be tempted to fall into sin. So help me. You think God is not going to answer these prayers? Of course he will. You can be absolutely certain of it. You're like, how can we be absolutely certain? Well, he gives the illustration. This is exactly what the illustration is all about. If you think the neighbor, who doesn't want to get up at midnight, but he does, I mean, if he'll answer the prayer, you think God is not going to answer the prayer? Which is why he says, so ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open unto you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. What does this look like in practice? Let's say that, I don't know what it is you need. Maybe you're like, okay, I need a, I need a new job. I don't need a new job, by the way. I'm very happy with my job and it's a privilege to be here with this place, but let's say you, you're like, I, I need a new job. All right, so you pray. Lord, you know my situation. It's just, it's just crazy. I need a new job. Okay, so you pray. And now what do you do? 
Well, I, I don't know. I prayed. Nothing seemed to happen. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, the guy, uh, you know, Ed McMahon didn't come knock on my door with, you know, the big million-dollar check and go, here you go. You know, I, I, so I, I don't know. Okay. Well, you prayed. Now what do you do? Well, well, now you seek. You seek for the answer to the prayer. I prayed that I needed a new job, so I went out and started seeking for new jobs. That's what I did. I went out and started seeking. I started looking. I need a new job. Let's go look. I mean, I prayed, I asked, and now I'm seeking. And suddenly there's a bunch of job opportunities. You look at them, you go, wow, you know, there's this one job. I, there's no way. There is no way that job opportunity would ever come my way. I'm not, I'm not even going to send them on a resume. I, I'm not going to bother. Okay. Really? Because now you've got to knock. You prayed, you asked, now you're going to seek, and now you're going to knock. This is how this works. Ask, then seek, then knock. And you know what? The door will be open unto you. You'll suddenly find yourself, maybe not the exact job you wanted, maybe some other job, maybe God's got a better job for you at a better place, at some place you weren't even really thinking of. But this is how the process works, but you've got to do the process. Ask, seek, knock. It's not often that God just drops it into your lap. You've got to pray, and then God will work. And then you've got to look and see where the answer to the prayer is. I mean, I know I've told this before, but it just fits so perfectly right here. You, you know the guy, he got caught in the flood, right? Yeah, I know you've all heard this. So I'll, I'll make it brief. So you know, the guy gets caught in the flood, and he's standing on his porch. You know, and the water is right up to his porch. There's no roads anymore. And some guy shows up in a rowboat and says, hey, 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 you need to get in the boat. It's like, no, no, God will save me. Next thing you know, the water has risen, and he's climbed out, and he's on his roof, you know. And here comes a power boat. It's like, hey, look, you better get on this boat. I mean, they're, they're predicting the water's just rising even higher. He's like, no, 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 it's okay. God's going to save me. And the next thing you know, he's standing on the peak of his roof with the water up to his waist, and here's the helicopter putting the, putting the ladder down. It's like, hey, grab the ladder. We'll get you out of here. Like, no, no, God will save me. Next thing you know, he's in heaven, you know. He's looking, he said, Lord, I tell everyone you're going to save me. He said, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. I mean, what, you know, what do you want here? You know, we are like, I expect God to what? I mean, if you pay for God to give you a new job, you, you got to go look for a new job. Don't just wait for someone to, I mean, in mind, it's always possible. Someone might suddenly call you and go, hey, I got this headhunter and you look like the perfect person for the job. There are people that happens to. Chances are, I, I, you never know, it might happen to you. But if you're going to pray about it, you now need to start looking, and now you need to start seeking, and now you need to start knocking. And don't worry, God is listening. And by the way, having done this, Jesus goes on. Let's, God, if you're still not convinced God wants to answer your prayers, Jesus follows up with a closing illustration. He says, now look. So let me be clear here. Let, really think about this. He said, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Are you going to give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if you ask for an egg, are you, are you going to give him a scorpion? And by the way, in the Middle East, they have a particular type of scorpion that it curls up into a little ball and it kind of looks like an egg right up until you reach for it. And life's pretty exciting. And if you, being evil, and by the way, we could obviously preach the whole sermon on that, right? I mean, the depravity of madness, but we're not going to. But if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. The argument from the lesser to the greater, right? This is a 
common argument. This is a common method used in the scriptures. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? If the lesser can do this, what do you think the greater is going to do? How much more will your heavenly father? I mean, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, don't you think God knows how to give good gifts? Do you think God knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? We'll get to that in a minute. The motivation that God is giving here, the motivation is, look, if you pray God is for a fish, God is not going to give you a snake. If, if you pray for a, an egg, God is not going to give you a scorpion. When you pray for bread, God is not going to give you stones, which occurs in Matthew. When you pray and ask God, he's going to give you good things. The motivation of God for us to pray is because God is going to be good to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, if, have you heard the? Uh, and I'm sure you have. You have. You've heard. You know, if you don't pray, then God's going to be mad at you and make your kids sick. What kind of motivation is that? This this is a motivational speech. If I don't do what God wants, He's going to you know He's, he's going to make my kids sick or burn my house down or I, it, I, if you actually look at the scripture. Now, the unsaved, they should have a great fear of God and be concerned about their eternal destination if they don't trust God. But those of us who trust God, I mean, he he gave his own son's life. How will he not freely with him give us all things? He that spared not his own son. God gave his son's life. You think God isn't going to give us whatever we need not necessarily what we want, but whatever we need. I remember I was about, I don't know, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in there. And we had some company visiting, and they had younger kids. And uh, my mother, she sent me out of the house. Go out of the house. Here, here's a couple of boxes. Go down to the store, and corner store, you know, the convenience store, and buy some candy or something, you know. I mean, as an adult now, I understand exactly what my mother was doing. At the time, I was... It's kind of strange. My mother never gave me money. My mother never sent me out of the house with money. Then. And so I'm headed off to this store, and I've got, you know, one of my cousins here. He's considerably younger than I am. And we're, and we're walking. It's a little ways. You know, it was back in the day. It was about a mile away. You could send 11-year-olds to go do that. And so we're walking down the road, and my little cousin looks at me and says, so what are you going to buy me? And I look at him like, I ain't buying you nothing. Oh, that's who I am, folks. That's, you know, that's, that's who I am. Uh, but I remember at the moment, as I said that to him, I thought, man, I'm going to be a terrible father. I mean, I had sense enough to realize that this is not really a good way to treat little kids. But, you know what? When my son was born, my firstborn, I, the father, oh <laughs> my fatherhood, you know, fatherhood. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even like little kids. In the hospital, I bent down to touch my son and he reached up and grabbed my finger. That's it. I became a different person. I became a father. It was like a whole new part of my life. I, I suddenly, there was a person in the world that I actually loved more than myself. And yes, you can feel bad for my wife. It took me a little while to get the whole wife thing down. But there was this person who, all I wanted to do was see them smile. 
All I wanted to do was, was to take care of them, to do anything for them. And I'm just, and I'm lousy. I'm, I'm a sinner. Okay, if that's the change of heart I have, what do you think God thinks when he looks at us? When you come and pray to God, do you think he's going to withhold any good thing from us, the things that we need? Now, again, this is not a blank check. I mean, this is not, okay, Lord, I need my own private island. I need a, I need a helicopter, and we're putting a racetrack with a Lamborghini on it. You know, I mean, that's, boy, oh, boy, I can hardly, okay, Lord, bring it on. Okay, that, that's not what's going on here. Lord, I want to be the person you want me to be. I want to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. I want to represent you well in the world. I want to understand who you are and who I am so that I can be the person I need to be. And we live in a society where it's okay to pray for a car. It's okay. We need cars. It's kind of tough to live in this society without one. There are places, but not Del Rio. So it's okay to pray that God will give us reliable transportation, to pray that God will look out for us. God is going to give us what we need. In fact, he goes on and says here at the end, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And if you're thinking that's kind of an interesting narrowing down of exactly what we're asking for, that doesn't sound like a Lamborghini at all. Uh, what, is, what is going on here? Okay. One of the drawbacks of being under the new covenant, of now being in, you know, 2020 here, we just kind of grow up and move forward as a Christian, particularly if you got saved at an early age. The idea that the Holy Spirit of God indwells you is like, well, yeah, uh, we can kind of take that for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. Under the old covenant, the people to whom he was speaking, just think about the entire old covenant system, the entire sacrificial system, the tabernacle and then the temple. I mean, the temple mount, the Holy of Holies, was one of the most protected pieces of real estate in the entire world. The number of people who were willing to put their life on the line to prevent unholy people from making their way into the Holy of Holies I mean, every, every member of the priesthood, the entire tribe of Levi, would stand between you and the Holy of Holies. People were willing to lay down their lives to prevent you, by the way, us. We're, you know, the Goyim, that's us. We're a bunch of Gentiles. None of us could come anywhere near the Holy of Holies. They would kill us or die trying. Well, wait, God is in the Holy of Holies. I mean, I just wanted to approach God. I just wanted to get near God. Yeah, sorry. No, that's, no. You're not getting anywhere near God. You're not getting anywhere near the Holy of Holies. In fact, you can't even get in the holy place. That's just the priest. You can't even get into the, into the inner court. You can't, no. Outer court maybe will tolerate you provided, you know. We can't get near to God. And the Holy Spirit of God? Well, the Holy Spirit of God came on people in the Old Testament. Remember, he, he empowered the folks who made the tabernacle with Moses. The Spirit of God came upon them, and they, could, they were craftsmen and things. The Spirit of God would come on the judges. Remember Samson, a famous one? The Spirit of God had come on him. He was great power. The Spirit of God would come upon Saul to rule. Samuel anointed him, but the Spirit of God left him and went on David. 
which is when David did the sin of Bathsheba. It's like, Lord, don't take your anointing spirit from me. I need your spirit to rule your people. When Solomon became king, you know, the prayer was, Lord, give me wisdom. I need your spirit. I need the spirit of wisdom or I can't possibly rule your people. But it was just some folks, and it was just a little bit here and there. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water when the earth was created. But on the whole, the Spirit of God didn't rest on everyone. The empowering of the Spirit of God, yeah, it came on the prophets, yeah, it came on the judges. It it would come on them, and then it would leave them. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came upon those who believed. And the power of the Spirit of God... Every single person here who believes you have a spiritual gift that God empowers you with to carry out his work in this world. Do you pray about that? Do you beg God to use your gift? Do you beg God to make you a part of the plan of what he's doing? Do you pray that, Lord, since you've given me the Holy Spirit, will you please inform me with some clarity as to exactly what my spiritual gift is so that I can do it? And so that I can carry it out in a way that will build the church of God, build the people of God, build the kingdom of God, and, be, and, and when I get to heaven, there'll be reward that you can give me? Have you prayed that? Have you prayed that fervently? Have you, have you prayed that in such a way that if you're like, well, I don't know what the Spirit of God is. Let me tell you how to figure that out. Stop eating until God lets you know. Give that a go. I got news for you. Won't be long. You'll have a pretty good idea what your spiritual gift is. Are you serious? Are you really serious? Are you like, okay, Lord, I'm here to tell you I am going to do whatever it takes to find out what my spiritual gift is. I am going to stop eating and start praying. Wherever mealtime is, I'm going to pray for breakfast. I'm going to pray for lunch. I'm going to pray for supper. Just how long do you suppose it might take you before you finally find out what your spiritual gift is? Are we determined? Are we so determined to be used by God that we are going to do whatever it takes to find out? So that God will give us a clue? And if you haven't eaten for three or four days, give me a call and I'll, you know, help you out. The fact is, there's any number of people who maybe they can't figure out what their spiritual gift is, but pretty obvious to the rest of us. Well, look at them like, who are you trying to kid? What do you mean you don't, you don't know what your spiritual gift is? God wants to use us. It's not a matter of us getting more of God. We don't need more of God. God needs more of us. The fact of the matter is that God is much more determined to use us than we are to be used. The problem is not God. The problem is us. And so we need to go and pray to God that he will take our lives and use our lives, recognizing that the major thing God is going to do is to make you the person God wants you to be. Whether you happen to walk the high road or the low road or the wealthy road or the poverty road or the sick road or the healthy road, whatever road God puts you on, whatever things you own, whatever kind of possessions you have, all of that, what really matters is what kind of person are you? Are you a person of character, of integrity? Are you determined to be honest pray, to be gracious, to be forgiving, to be loving, to exude the fruit of the Spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and gentleness and self-control and meekness. Are you determined to be that person? That is the prayer God will always answer in abundance.
this is how we should pray. Jesus lays this out for us. Pray. He gives us the outline, and then he says, look, even the neighbor, if you, you go over to the neighbor at midnight, he'll give. And by the way, if you think that doesn't convince you, let me tell you, if as an earthly father, you'll take care of your kids, imagine what your heavenly father will do. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do come to you begging you to open our eyes to see the truths of this passage. May our weeks and literally months of study of prayer, may it transform us. May we become a people who pray to you for each other, for our families, for our neighbors, for our nation. Lord, you want your kingdom to, and your kingdom ways to rule in this world. You want us to love our neighbors, to take care of one another. You want righteousness, peace, justice. These are things that we can come and ask you for. Lord, we pray for our nation that it would have righteous judges. Righteous legislators. We pray, Lord, that you would give us people who seek to bring your will, your morality, your laws into our laws. We pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we would reflect your love, your kindness, your compassion. Transform us, Lord. Make us the people we truly in our hearts desire to be. Thank you for what the great God you are. May we be a praying people. We ask in your son's precious name who died for us. Amen.